Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone determined to make more than one person healthier in this world. And I am super excited today to have Sam Bajaj on the episode, on the call, on the podcast. Uh, Sam is the Chief Operating Officer at Kaiser Permanente, San Jose, and Santa Cruz um, campuses, locations. Uh, Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. Happy to be here. Great, great. Well, Sam, again, great to have you on. Really super excited to have you on. Um, Sam, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about your background, your origin story. Sure. Um, so I have a bit of an atypical background than what your traditional uh, administrator in healthcare probably would have. I started out as a practicing attorney uh, with the Federal Trade Commission out in Washington, D.C., uh, for the folks who don't know, the Federal Trade Commission is one of the two federal agencies charged with consumer protection, so protecting the 300-plus million uh, citizens across the United States from uh, you know unscrupulous business practices. So when you think about monopolies, uh, that's what the Federal Trade Commission, uh, one of their charges is to protect consumers against. And uh, I fell into healthcare by by chance. Uh, I, pursued a, I pursued my passion of, of, uh, of protecting consumers and ended up going to the federal, this federal agency um, and ended up working on hospital mergers. So looked at hospital mergers for uh, a couple of years to really understand the dynamics and what drove the particular merger and then try to really get an understanding of, you know, at the end of the day, would the, would the outcome of the merger be a net positive or net negative for the folks who get health care from either of those two entities that were looking to merge? Uh, we looked at mergers across the United States, so a variety of different states. And that really is what got me interested in healthcare. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, really, um, really interesting background for, for someone, you know, um, leading operations for, you know, top health system in the, in the country. Um, Sam, maybe you can tell us a little bit on, um, it'd be great to hear kind of some of the things you work on, but most importantly, you know, what, what has you passionate in health uh, today? Um, you know, I, uh, I'll put in a plug for the, the company I work at, uh, partly because that's what I'm, I, I'm driven by my passion. I'm driven by uh, my conviction around population health. And that's precisely the reason I work. I chose to work at Kaiser Permanente. Um, I started off with the administrative fellowship here after I finished my MHA. So I, you know, I went back and got my MHA after I, I, I transitioned from law, the practice of law, to get a better understanding of operations and the different pieces that go into making effective uh, and efficient operation and ended up at Kaiser Permanente and, and intentionally chose to be here. Um, what drives me at the end of the day is um, the belief that uh, population health, uh, as you start off in your introduction aptly, is it's, it's not an individual uh, outcome. It's an outcome uh, for a population that's within a community, however you define that community, whether it's a zip code, a block of zip codes, a city or state or a country. Um, and I, I truly believe that Kaiser Permanente is the model, uh, which is why I, I choose to work here and spend my uh, spend most of my waking hours uh, doing the work that I do. Interesting. Interesting, Sam. Yeah, no, that's, that's exciting to hear. And, you know, obviously we know, you know, Kaiser is such a tremendous system, very cutting edge, very innovative. And uh, thank you for, you know, elaborating with population health. We have a lot of listeners where we always try and clarify, you know, what, what pop health really is. Um, and with Kaiser, or from what you've seen, what are a few things um, in population health that you've 
that you've just seen work or things that you believe in population health that you know really need to be distributed greater and and, and some some things that you really see working in um, in the space you know I think um, having have been having been in the, within the system now for about a little over seven years and I've worked at other health systems and then as an attorney I looked at a variety of other health systems in addition to that right so I've looked at community health systems for-profit nonprofit systems across multiple states academic medical centers and I'm now here with uh, with a nonprofit institution such as Kaiser Permanente. Um, what I've seen work with within KP that I think is very very difficult to replicate that a lot of folks within the country across the country, both policy and non-policy, are trying to crack that nut with population health, is to look at the longitudinal um, sort of journey of a patient. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you look at it from uh, essentially what we call it from from birth? from, uh, you know, great beginnings to dignified endings, which means mm-hmm. from birth to grave. So mm-hmm. if I look at your longitudinal history and, and somehow maintain your uh, uh, relationship with one particular system throughout that entire spectrum, we can collect a lot of information mm-hmm. about uh, your health habits. And then there's a lot of research around it that will tell me a little bit about, you know, uh, what the potential health habits of people within your household could be. So if you did have a spouse or kids or, or, or parents that came in, uh, we could get a pretty darn good uh, picture of you as a family unit and how you all function and what the potential risks are and look farther ahead downstream to be able to pinpoint where do we need to catch and make certain interventions before things go off center. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of prevention becomes central, which is, uh, which is what the company is built around, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the, the whole core tenant of population health is looking at prevention on the onset uh, to make sure that um, you're able to make those appropriate uh, pivots within an individual's journey throughout their mm-hmm. life to make sure that they have the healthiest and fullest life for themselves and for, for their loved ones. Interesting, Sam. Yeah, and I think you touched upon something really important that comes up uh, thematically uh, you know, on the show and just in general in this space, which is... Uh, not just prevention, but relative uh, prevention. And, you know, there's so many different factors now that determine our health. Um, You know, you mentioned one of them, zip code, family. Um, As you probably saw, you were probably like me, you know, following up the recaps from HIMSS last week, you know, probably not able to attend, but at least looking from afar to see what the trends were. Uh, Social factors, right, Sam? Social Mm -hmm. determinants are, are popping up as, you know, a really interesting study and dimension that affects health. Do you have any thoughts or, or comments around these social factors or social determinants as they relate to population health? And, um, you know, if so, love for you to elaborate. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think if you look at it um, from a micro to a macro sense, right? In a micro sense, I'm looking at you as an individual in your journey. You take it one level up, I could look at you within your family and that journey take another level up and all of a sudden you're looking at uh, community, right? It mm-hmm. could be an ethnic background. Uh, it could be uh, just pretty much where you live. It could be other socioeconomic factors. And I think that's what you're touching upon is that social determinants of health. That's probably third or four levels up above. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly because I think because a lot of companies are not set up the way we are, where we can look at you from end to end, uh, presumably if you choose to stay with us from that from one point to the other, um, the farthest down any given company generally can go is is sort of that community zip code level, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. And then they start looking at all the interplay between, you know, whether you live in a food desert, whether you have access to fresh foods, whether you are, you know, in a block of other Medi-Cal, you know, uh, con- consuming individuals where you have Medi-Cal. Do you live in a senior, you know, senior housing? What kind of transportation options do you have? Um, that's the place where I think a lot of people are trying to uh, focus, and so are we as a company, because I think uh, that part we've largely allowed the government to operate in, right? And then that is the sphere of the government, is when mm-hmm. you think about a city planner perspective, if you're a mayor or if you are a governor, you think of that level when you think about how do I distribute transportation? Uh, what are the hubs? What do those hubs look like? Um, affordable housing is a big is is a, is, is uh, getting a lot of uh, play, particularly in California, but across the country as well. Um, that that becomes really important, and then you start looking at there's other factors that tie right into that, in terms of uh, so that, that then determine what your what potential health issues you could you could face. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example I'll give you is when I was in Chicago and the work that we did when I was at an academic medical center. Uh, I was pursuing a graduate degree at Rush University Medical Center. Uh, it's on the west side of Chicago, and um, the neighborhood itself is, you know, lower middle class to middle class, uh, and it's changing and has been changing over time. It's primarily uh, lower lower class, uh, mm-hmm. and um, uh, what they found was, uh, you know, you could talk to somebody about eating healthy until they're blue in the face. If they have a choice between uh, getting a you know 99 cent bag of chips that are high calorie intensive or a four dollar piece of kale they'll go for the chips all day every day because right. they just don't have any dollars to expend right right yeah so so many different factors and it's interesting yeah there's a there's a psychology behind it but there's there's so many different levels and it's it's really interesting you know to see the way that that kaiser is thinking of things um uh sam when there's a lot of listeners to this show that are, you know, not, not local here, right? Like you and I, but, um, across the country that go to different hospital systems, they may have blue cross blue shield. They may have Aetna, you know, Kaiser is an interesting system where it's, it's like a provider and payer rolled into one. Maybe you can describe that a little bit for our listeners and, you know, not so much on why that's advantageous, but how is that different than your traditional, you know, you have health insurance and you can go to a doctor over here. Um, maybe you can describe that dynamic a little bit. Yeah, sure. So I've, I've had the fortune of living in a variety of different states, right? And um, one of the things I've, uh, I've noticed is particularly when you start looking at the Midwest and the North uh, East, um, they're largely driven by PPO, um, mm-hmm. um, preferred provider organization networks, right? So essentially that's an insurance product you as an individual would buy either through your employer or you buy, you know, now, nowadays off the exchange at the Affordable Care Act uh, within your state that gives you access to a network of providers. Um, a PPO gives you the, uh, per- the perception of the PPO generally is it gives you the widest amount of choice, but it's a little bit more expensive. So you could pick up the, your phone and call a neurologist tomorrow if you wanted to, because you think you've got neurological issues. Mm-hmm. Um, off of no reason other than the fact that you think you've got neurological issues. Um, the other product that, uh, that really is a world that Kaiser plays in that the Affordable Care Act is trying to model, that a lot of other companies are trying to work towards is the HMO model, the health maintenance organization. Mm-hmm. And what that basically does is it, it uh, and CMS is doing a little bit around that with patient-centered medical homes. The idea being that if you have a relationship with a provider, 
particularly let's say your primary care provider, right? Your, your adult, your pediatrician, your OBGYN for your wife, and maybe an adult uh, family medicine provider for yourself. Um, you, if you, if you build that relationship with that individual, one, they get to know you over time um, and sort of get to know uh, your, uh, how you consume healthcare, but then also how, what you think about health and what factors impact you. And then, um, what ends up happening then is if you stay with that provider over time, they start again, like if you think back to what I just said about Kaiser from front to end, right? End to end. They start, they're able to see that sort of motion picture, if you will, of your life from end to end. Mm-hmm. And then they can make, um, again, more informed choices now, largely because we've got a trying medical records, which have facilitated some of that. Uh, we've now got machine learning that's coming online. Uh, in a lot of different ways that is uh, facilitating and helping some of that. Um, when we talk about um, HMO work, that becomes a lot easier to do because you're working within a defined set of providers. So you go to your primary care, your primary care determines you have a neurological issue, and then he or she will recommend uh, a handful of folks that they work with that are also within that same HMO network to have you see a neurologist. Uh, but in, in essence, they're following your care all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. In a PPO world, that becomes really hard to do because you could pick up the phone and call anybody. Uh, and th- they may have absolutely no relationship with their primary care provider. Uh, and you may not have a relationship with them after the, this sort of one episode of care um, where you go in and maybe they tell you there's nothing wrong and you get tests done. Um, I think that's where the world's trying to pivot to a little bit is to right. create these sort of patient-centered medical homes where the medical home is this concept of being able to see you, uh, see you and see your progression from one end to the other. A lot of it comes honestly down to data, right? Right. Right. Yeah, no, Sam, this is, this is really interesting. And I, I think it all centers around, you know, kind of thematically what you were, you've been mentioning, you started off with by saying the, the longitudinal story, right? The longitudinal record, uh, you know, keeping track of, um, you know, the progression of someone and, and understanding the full, um, the full story and not just snapshots of the story. Um, Sam, there's a, there's a lot of, um, movement now with this concept of, you know, focus on value or value-based care. Can you share a little bit, um, you know, your thoughts on value-based care, maybe, maybe why that's important. What, what's the whole movement about? And, you know, we're, we're starting to hear a lot about like bundle payments and, and, um, you know, the move away from a service-based model. Anything to share or any, any mindset or, or thoughts around that space? Yeah, you know, um, I've, I've seen that, uh, as have other folks within the industry, uh, take place and, and get gain, gain momentum over the past uh, probably decade almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it, if you think about it and went back, I bet if you mapped it, it probably it rises with the advent of electronic health records. Because before mm-hmm. then, trying to understand um, good quality care, sort of what, uh, you know, sort of the hotspotting work that Atul Gawande did made him famous initially mm-hmm. uh, around what's the difference between getting a knee replacement in, I don't know, El Paso, Texas versus Chicago, Illinois. Um, what's the cost? What's the quality outcome? That was very, very hard to do before when people had paper just you know, in, in boxes or in drawers sitting in their own offices. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a talk uh, not too long ago here in, in San Francisco where they have this uh, this really uh, 
well-respected AI uh, expert from Stanford University, who I think put it really well. Um, when you're talking about machine learning, the ability for machines to understand uh, both historically what's happened, but then also use that to help predict what uh, what what ought to happen, not what will happen, but what ought to happen, right? So essentially mm-hmm. looking through what the best outcomes are, the costs are, mashing all that together really quickly to be able to say, okay, here's the bundle um, of care you should approach when you talk about a total joint replacement, whether it's a knee replacement or hip replacement. Um, and that is that conversation on value, right? You're talking about it's sort of that balancing between optimal quality, uh, best cost, and I think the third piece would be access because if you don't have access and you've got great quality and great cost, it won't make a difference. Right. Um, so it, what, what he talked about was with, with EMRs, um, where healthcare is now, which is probably 30, 40 years behind a lot of other industries as, as we know it, mm-hmm. uh, first you have to codify that data or the information, if you will. So take it out of somebody's drawer and codify it. So that's what electronic health records do. You input the information. So every time you come in, you get a BP check. That's information your doctor's putting into the record. Once you codify it, then you tabularize it. That's the next step. That is basically putting them in tables. Mm-hmm. So you can now cross-reference your BP against uh, somebody else's BP within the same office. Uh, maybe your BP against somebody within the same age, same, same demographic in El Paso. Um, and then the last piece is once you've put it in a table, now you can liberate it, right? Because now it's available to, to the extent that we can make it available. Now we can make it available to just anybody who can crunch that information together. That includes machines. Um, but I think that the part where we're in right now is we're in the sort of the tabular, tabularizing liberation phase um, because we're, we're, we've now pushed into the codification phase. And I think that's where when you talk about pop, true population health, and you talk about uh, value-based uh, purchasing, value-based payments, bundle payments. They're all sort of synonymous for, uh, or synonyms for this this particular type of movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thank Thank you for that explanation and and, and for for sharing that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, and I, I think you've touched upon, you know, some some uh, key elements here. We you know with the electronic health record, AI. Um, you know, the societal, you know, and healthcare financing shifts uh, of bundled payments. And it's an exciting time. You know, a lot of these pieces are converging in a pretty interesting way. And, you know, the, the layers of social determinants added an important dimension to, to be considered. Um, Sam, let me ask you, um, when we, when, usually on these episodes, we talk about, you know, obviously the past, the present and the future. And I think you've hinted some things that, you know, give a sense of how you you see where the future is going, but you know, what are some, some things that you believe uh, that have not been proven yet or some, some visions of the future that you'd like to share uh, when it comes to the future of healthcare? You know, I think um, personally, I'll be excited to see, I think the true movement to value-based payments will come with transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, you know, people, health systems or, or comp- organizations uh, quibble over data, how the data is interpreted. Uh, we spend a lot of in, in for, you know time around that. Um, so you see companies that go out there and talk about, you know, I'm number one in health grades or U.S. news, um, but it's it's just for that cohort of, of groups of, of hospitals that or participate in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're we're to your point. We're at an exciting time. We're at a place where 
um, we've now we've now got the electronic record. We've now put that into tables, if you will. Now the question becomes: How do I uh, create these cross references between tables that that make sense? That pro- that have the context behind them. So you know, a data point isn't just sort of two dimensional. We have to make it a little bit more t- three dimensional, and that's a little tougher job. But um, before you even get there, I think the first thing we got to have is interoperability of data. So mm-hmm. you've now got this arms race within different health systems and largely driven by um, the type of electronic health record that they have that now has created these bigger gates. So that, you know, it's the data still, to me, the way I look at it, the data is still under siege. It's now just a bigger group of data, if that makes sense. Before my doctor's office and whatever he or she had in her drawer. So he or she owned that and the drawer essentially was the barrier to entry. Now we made it electronic. Now the barrier to entry is one electronic medical company being able to talk to the other. Um, whether you're on Cerner or you're on Epic, um, I think once we get break that down a little bit, then we get to true liberation of that data and we right. can then really harness that power. Right. Well, Sam. Well, yeah, that's interesting. So, what what would you see as like you know there are so many different EHRs. A lot you know gravitate around Cerner and Epic. Obviously, that that. Um, you know, most health records are on, or at least half the market is on. Um, what's a turning point to, to get the formats? You see Apple, you know, moving towards more consumerized, you know, records with Apple Health. And any thoughts or theses on, on what are some turning points to kind of get the same verse of uh, electronic health records? So, you know, one could transfer it around from a consumer-friendly standpoint. I mean, I know there's a lot of theories, Um it's hard to tell like where the solution is going to come from, but anything to, to share there? Yeah, I, I think you hit it spot on. Uh, it's hard to tell where the solution is going to come from. Um, what, what we do know, just looking at healthcare historically, it's not going to come from healthcare. Right. We've evolved at a, at a pace of a snail um, over decades and decades. Um, the industry itself is, um, is, is ripe for disruption, I think. Uh, the only question is who gets there first, uh, you know, whether you look at Amazon or, or Google or Apple that are looking to create that. Um, and I, what I hope they don't go into is creating another yet another medical record, right? Right. The hope is they're, they're able to create the bridges and the linkages between these records. And that's not an easy thing to do because these organizations, um, such as ours too, right? These, the, the EMR implementation uh, costs in the billions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of hesitation and you add to the regulatory infrastructure on top of that, it becomes very hard to um, break through those, those sort of moats that have been created around this data. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, to your point, I, I do hope that, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, t- have, living in Silicon Valley, there's a ton of smart startups, both here, but across the country, Austin, uh, out in Seattle, um, that are looking just at this very problem. And I hope the answer comes sooner rather than later. Great, great. Well, Sam, th- thank you for that. Um, and, and thank you for shedding light on, um, yeah, you know, um, just, for, just from the perspective of, of being at Kaiser and seeing what you've seen from an operations and strategic standpoint, I think this, this adds a lot of value and we really appreciate it, Sam. Um, Sam, we don't want to take up too much time. Um, you know, th- this, is, uh, this has been a very, you know, fun and rewarding um, I think episode uh, doing this with you, but uh, for our listeners out there that want to engage with you and continue conversations with you, Sam, what's a good way to engage with you? 
Sure. Um, LinkedIn's probably the best way to, to reach out to me. Um, in which case, you'll have to look for my full name, which is Sam Yukt, S-A-M-Y-U-K-T. And then my last name, Bajaj, B-A-J-A-J. Great, great. Well, well, Sam, thank you for thank you for doing this. And it was great to have you on and really appreciate it. And, um, and for all our listeners out there, again, this is the Pop Health Show. And this is for anyone determined to make more than one person healthier in this world. Sam, thanks so much. This was great. Thanks. My pleasure.